I'm ashamed to say, I go through one or two earbuds for my iPhone a year. Um, just purely from excessive use, one or both of the earbuds will stop working. Um, also, I have occasionally left them in hotel rooms or on a plane. So if I'm out an earbud and I need one right away, I'm going to the store and picking one up. But if I can wait, if I don't need it right away, I'll just order one online. So I wondered, when I order an earbud, how different is the logistics process, the shipping, the storing, and the delivering of those earbuds when I buy it in the store versus when I buy it online and it's delivered to me? I know the perfect people to ask. I was in Chicago last week, home of Deep Dish Pizza, The Cubs, Ferris Bueller, Windiness, and... JLL Chicago Industrial Real-Time. That's a podcast hosted by George Kutro and Chad Book. George and Chad, along with Aaron Alburn, schooled me on many interesting things. Did you know that many retailers pay other companies to handle their logistics for them? They're called 3PL, third-party logistics. Did you know that e-commerce shipping and delivery is super complicated? In fact, an e-commerce warehouse is three times more expensive to build out than a traditional warehouse. So let's jump into a very special crossover episode with JLL Chicago Industrial Real-Time. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL, and this is Where We Buy, the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. It's a crossover episode. You're going to hear one part of this show right here, and then you can go over to another podcast, our, our uh, sister, cousin, sister, brother, sister colleague, cousin. colleague oh. our colleague podcast, JLL Chicago Industrial Real Time. George, let's start with you. They call you the godfather of industrial research. I started my career in research in uh, 88. So I'm probably the oldest standing member of research in Chicago. And we're going to introduce another special guest, and that is the head of industrial research for jail. <laughs> For JLL for the Americas, and that's Aaron Alburn, who uh, joins us from El Segundo, California today, right? Right outside LA, yes. Thanks Excellent. Chicago is one of uh, the largest industrial markets, right? That's correct. Chicago's got a lot of warehouses. What kind of retailers have dis distribution out of Chicago? You name it, they're here. We've got all of your corporate Fortune 500 brands, Walmart, Target, Ikea, you know, Macy's, some of these <clears throat> firms have upwards of 500 to a million square feet. Um, obviously, Amazon, big player, uh, expanding their footprint in the market. Another uh, dynamic to our market is is a 3PL business that does a lot of warehousing for those corporate users as well. And so you might not know what product's stored in there, but they're, they're storing product. So 3PL, third-party logistics. So basically what happens is a third-party member will warehouse for an account. So say a Kraft Foods doesn't want to take on the responsibility of warehousing a item themselves, they will contract out for a time period, typically three to five years. They'll hire on a 3PL who will do the warehousing for them. And then that warehouser, once they earn the contract, 
will then go out and procure the real estate for that assignment. If I'm a retailer, I mean, how likely is it that I'm going to use a 3PL as opposed to doing that myself? I guess it really depends on the business. You know, you could fully outsource uh, to a 3PL, or you could even outsource part of your business as a retailer. You know, maybe it's your seasonal product that you use a, a 3PL to help manage or uh, some other type of your business. Uh, maybe it's returns that you use a 3PL for to process those in terms of e-commerce. How far, you know, let's say I've got a warehouse in Chicago. How far am I away am I distributing goods from that warehouse? I mean, is it all over the Midwest? So if you consider called a 10-hour truck uh, one-day drive time, that's going to get you to Pittsburgh, Toronto, down to Memphis, uh, Kansas City. So you're hitting uh, you know, about 26% of the U.S. population within a one-day's drive time from Chicago, plus um, just you know your local stores within a one- to three-hour radius of Chicago. What you have to think about, too, is from a national perspective, you know, Chicago is really like the central hub for the U.S. You know, outside of Dallas, um, Chicago has all of the intermodal rail lines running into Chicago. And as Chad said, you, you can then touch a lot of major uh, metropolitan areas from this place. And uh, so that kind of connectivity is really important uh, when you think about rail lines or trucking highway lines. Plus, with O'Hare, you're getting uh, garments flown in from Italy or Asia, um, especially seasonal or high-value stuff. So that stuff is um, you know, direct flights in and out um, for kind of high-value, time-sensitive stuff. And then going back to intermodal, uh, we see the huge explosion probably for the last 10 years of intermodal moving out of the city where Chicago began and moving out farther away to get away from the congestion that if some intermodal will produce in a heavily traveled area. So Joliet has established two intermodal yards, one for the Burlington Normal and Burlington Northern and the second for the UP. And they're taking goods in from the West Coast coming in through Chicago, either going to the East Coast or going put to these major regional DCs that are housed in the Chicago metropolitan area and then going out to the final user. So typically, and Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, they're 40-foot Containers that that are placed, they come off a ship on the west coast, are put on a flatbed rail car, and then are shipped to an intermodal yard, which then gets dispersed to warehouses, which then get dispersed to the end user in most instances. So this is a, the show Where We Buy is a retail podcast. So I always like to think about branding, industrial warehouses, that's like all behind the scenes stuff. So... The average everyday shopper doesn't really get exposed to things like third-party logistics. I think that the brand is you know, essential when it comes to e-commerce. Um, it's that customer expectation of you know, what does this brand mean to me? And it could be you know, different for uh, a big category killer retailer versus a small niche um, apparel company. Uh, but maintaining that brand from your online presence to your physical presence needs to really be a um, harmonious process. Is there a difference between an e-commerce warehouse and a traditional retailer warehouse? Absolutely. I'd say you know the most modern state-of-the-art pure e-commerce uh, facility is most likely a build-a-suit. Um, these, these companies are requiring 36 at a minimum to 40-foot clear heights, 
uh, many cases, fully air-conditioned, upgraded power, um, you know, significantly more car parks. Some of these, uh, during a peak season swell, could have upwards of 1,000 to, you know, 1,500 workers. So um, being able to have uh, secure egress for, for trucks, um, extra trailer parking, um, just kind of upgraded amenities within the building for, um, you know, more office uh, pods, uh, restrooms kind of in the center of the building, just more employee amenities just due to the heavier workforce, um, plus, you know, an above average um, loading dock ratio per square foot. That's, uh, you know, upwards of one per 10,000 square feet. Why do they have more employees? Uh, I think it just takes more handling per product, uh, per SKU. Um, you know, in a bulk distribution facility, you're, you, you may have a skeleton crew of, call it 25 guys on fork trucks, um, you know, moving bulk pallets, um, case pick, that sort of thing. Uh, in an e-commerce uh, facility, you may have multiple layers of mezzanine because product is packed and stored more densely. So um, you've got people scurrying about the facility or using uh, robots to uh, pick and retrieve uh, individual individual items. Plus, uh, it's more labor intensive to individually pack. Um, you know, if you're just ordering one one skew. Right, right now, sort of automation hasn't gotten to the stage in terms of picking and packing that um, you can really uh, take a robot and do that. We're moving in that direction. It may be you know, years away before it happens, but uh, it's at least being surfaced now. Uh, but you do see a lot of automation within an e-commerce facility. Everything from material handling systems to conveyors to the uh, uh, the, the cross-docking of facilities. Uh, it's really a matter of how fast can you move product in, put it in bins, as Chad mentioned, you know, as opposed to bigger pallets that you might see in a traditional warehouse, and get that product picked and packed, put in boxes, uh, and then shipped off. And you see uh, heavy investment, heavy capex, into these uh, uh, e-commerce facilities because of that automation. The expense that's put into these e-commerce buildings is probably th three times the amount of a traditional warehouse because of all the material handling equipment inside of them. So they're both in the same type of shell, but the mechanisms inside the building are such that there's a huge capital expense are retailers, are e-commerce retailers building these buildings themselves? Traditionally, most retailers will be a tenant in the building. Because of the heavy CapEx expenses as well, I think we tend to see those e-commerce leases maybe a bit longer than you might see the, uh, the traditional warehouse lease as well, just because you're amortizing so much cost. They'll probably be plus 20 years. There's no landlord that wants to have a 10-year lease with that kind of exposure to expense because if they leave for 10 years, there's no way they're going to recoup the money put into the building. And we've seen over the last few years a lot of e-commerce requirements really pushing clear heights higher and higher. And some of that is to uh, really afford the ability to build a bigger footprint within the warehouse itself. So you might have an 800,000 square foot warehouse that you build potentially three levels of mezzanine into it and you have over a million square feet of workable space within that 800,000 square foot footprint. Uh, I think a lot of landlords have looked at that and you know, they're looking at, at longer leases as also a way to uh, be able to um, consider how difficult it might be to release that facility after five years or 10 years versus at 20 years.
if I want to build a big box warehouse, um, how far out do I have to go? I mean, is there land sure. un- that's undeveloped around Chicago? Well, similar to Los Angeles, Chicago being an older city, there's very few places within you know the infill markets of, of Cook County um, where you can assemble a piece of land to do a 500 or you know 700,000 square foot building. So uh, these users are typically looking in uh, the southwest suburbs along uh, I-55, I-80, I-57, or um, kind of the far north and far west reaches of the market crossing into Wisconsin. One of the proposals that multiple parties have floated is taking some mall space, all or part of a mall, and turning it into last mile, uh, a last mile distribution point for e-commerce sales. How easy would it be to, say, convert a de- an old department store into a warehouse uh, distribution point? Um, let's talk about the positives first. Uh, first off, uh, for a pick and pack, you have the parking available for the number of employees that will be needed to store there. So you have that, plus you'll be at main and main. So ingress and egress to your last mile, folks, you're, you're there. So that's a good thing. Uh, some of the negatives or some of the concerns I would have is the clear height of those buildings is, what, 18-foot clear? 40-foot clear is now the new norm. When they built these buildings, they built them to have maybe one or two docks to support the building to get goods in and out. So the truck courts and the depth needed were all probably 70s or 80s vintage, which today's tractor trailers are 53-foot. You need a deeper court to handle those. Plus, you also have to need some land to store the trailers. So those would be some of the drawbacks. If they had additional land or a part of a bigger complex, then sure, that raising the roof is a possibility. But you're looking at some of the, the things we're seeing on uh, last mile. They're looking at 40,000 square foot structures that work perfectly. And maybe it's not so many docks they need, but driving doors because these vehicles are physically driving into the building to pick up the goods, then going on their way. Like maybe a delivery van. Correct. Like a box truck, right? So I think there are a few other things to consider as well. So are you mixing existing retail and some last mile delivery? Or are you, um, you know, taking a, an anchor? Uh, so sort of the big box and maybe you get a little bit uh, better clear out of uh, uh, out of a, an unused anchor tenant space. Uh, but a lot of times with last mile, you're floor stacking as well, so you might not need heavy floor loads in that space. Uh, as George mentioned, you do need the loading, but uh, you're also dealing a lot with uh, box trucks coming in and out all of the time. So consider that with uh, existing retail public traffic and what the safety safety concerns may be. And uh, you also have to consider zoning and how that space has been zoned and does it need some type of rezoning to allow for uh, some type of warehousing or, or storage. Thank you guys so much for spending some time with me. This has been really interesting. All right, well, real quick, uh, what's the pizza of choice for Chicago? We're here in Chicago. For me, it's Gino's East. That's, that's my favorite, but there's many others that I would also go to. Uh, it's two reasons. It's my favorite, plus it's the closest to my residence. Honestly, I'm a big fan of uh, New York style. I'm not. I don't really like the deep dish. Give what? Me a, uh, give me a thin crust pepperoni or uh, or veggie pie. Wow. I 
I'm going to have to vehemently disagree with you. That will agree to disagree. My favorite is Giordano's, which we actually have now in Indianapolis. We had one open it up, open up, believe it or not. Aaron, what's the pizza scene? Pizza scene's pretty decent in in L.A., right? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> that was George. <laughs> Sushi scene is good in L.A. Okay. I don't yeah. know about pizza. All right. Okay. So it's either New York or Chicago. If you want pizza, go to Southern California for the sushi. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining me. Thanks, James. If you want to hear part two of that conversation, jump into the podcast app on your iPhone, iTunes, whatever. Pull up the latest episode of Chicago Industrial Real Time. If you want to see more retail research, go to jllretail.com and click on Retail Intelligence. You can subscribe to Where We Buy on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, many other places. We've got an upcoming episode with a retail tour of the changes going on in Chicago's Michigan Avenue. You're not going to want to miss that one. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Got a retail question? Tweet at me on Twitter. I'm at James D. Cook. Our theme music is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion under Creative Commons license.